Good day to all our listeners. I am JV from the Lighthouse Arabia with you today to cast light on yet another significant wellness topic. To quote Leonard Cohen, there's a crack, a crack in everything. That is how the light comes in. Good day um, to all our listeners. Welcome back to Casting Light. Today I have uh, my colleague, Dr. Robert Chandler, here with me. And I'm still con- uh, doubtful whether um, his true interest in acceptance and commitment therapy is not just an act to be here with me today. <laughs> Welcome. Very good, Dr. Very, very good. Very uh, good. Sorry, I'm acting a fool today. Please, please pardon me. No problem at all. Listen, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you, uh, Robbie. Today we're going to talk about acceptance and commitment therapy, uh, one of the modalities that you practice. Um, It's something that I have not had much um, background or or exposure to. So I'm going to ask you to maybe give us a a broad overview of what ACT is. Do you know, JV, that's a really good question. And, and you might you might have noticed there, I actually paused before answering it. And as I'm, as I'm thinking now, I think actually it might be more helpful for me to show you what, what the process of ACT is rather than kind of just uh, describe it. So the reason this is- Let's ACT it out. Let's, let's, let's. So when you, asked me that, when you asked me that question, JV, something, something really interesting happened and, and all it happened in kind of a microsecond. So a little voice in my head started saying to me, Robbie, you know, this, this is the opening. Okay, don't, don't mess this up. Do you remember that time, Robbie, when you were in year eight and you messed up that presentation? And, and so suddenly, you know, don't mess this up, Robbie. Like, you know, they'll realise you're an imposter and you don't know much about this stuff. So all of this happens in kind of a split second, right? Now, I'm, I'm kind of describing this to you, okay? So I'm, I'm noticing that I'm having these thoughts, but I'm, I'm kind of leaning into them. I'm accepting that they're there, okay? I'm becoming mindful of them. And, and I'm not trying to struggle or run away from them. I'm, I'm kind of paying really close attention to what they're saying. What I'm not doing is believing them, okay? And I'm, I'm being open-minded to the fact that Actually, this, this, this could be true. I'm about to mess up this, this kind of talk with you, JV. Or actually, maybe I'm not. But I'm not too interested in whether that thought is true or not. So instead, what I decided to do in that moment was come back, just take a deep breath and come back to the present moment. Okay, Because once I came back to the present moment, then it was easier to come back and do something that's important to me, which is you know, doing this video with you for the benefit of our community. So this is, this is the ACT process, okay? So it's the idea that thoughts, feelings, memories, difficult sensations show up for us all the time. And it's the idea that we have very little control over those things showing up. But what we want to do is, is to bring some awareness to those things, not to struggle against them, not to run away from them, but to, to become fully present of them, but then decide, make a conscious decision to come back to the present moment to engage with doing what matters, which is often in line with our values. So I don't know if that's a, a kind of useful summary. Um, that's beautiful. Thank you, Romy. It, it makes it uh, practical and, and 
give an image or a, a, an experience now to make sense of a construct. And as you were, were describing it, it sounds so counterintuitive as to so many people in therapy tell me, I want to learn how to control my thoughts. Um, I struggle to control my emotions, where the aim is so often to control it or to learn how to control it. And that just spirals. The more I try and control it, the more difficult it becomes to control it. Because as you say, we can't really control it. It's about not engaging with it and just accepting it's showing up for me in this moment, but it might be true or not. Absolutely. You, you know, a couple of points on that, JV. You know, I often, or we often enact, use the analogy of, of you know, the, the finger trap, you know, when you, those, those the finger traps you used to play with as a kid and the idea that when you put both fingers in and to try and get out of that, you pull and you struggle against. But what happens to the finger trap when you start pulling? It just tightens its grip. So yes. here in ACT, we're about the idea of leaning in going in towards the emotion, facing it head on. And actually what tends to happen then is the emotion becomes a little bit lighter. It becomes a little bit easier to manage. Now, as you say, JV, it doesn't disappear and it doesn't go away, but it becomes lighter to live with. And, and, and I keep kind of coming back to this point. It then becomes easier to get on with doing what matters. So anxiety, fear, difficult memories can still be there in the background because ultimately this is part of a, of a rich, diverse, meaningful life in order to experience this broad palette, this broad range of emotions that we have. And so, as you correctly say, kind of trying to control these inner thought processes is incredibly difficult, you know? The, the brain's essentially a couple of pieces of meat with electricity running through it. You know, how much control do we, do we ultimately have over some of those processes? So often we just have to make room for what's going on for us in the present moment. And as I say, kind of lean into it. And what's, what's so beautiful about it is that it seems like the aim of this whole model is to empower a client to get to a place where he or she can fulfill or, or, or behave or act, excuse the pun, in a way that is in line with their values, to help them to, to do, to behave, to um, not get stuck in the moment, in the thought, in the feeling but to mobilize them towards acting, behaving, um, and the word there, to commitment of a very specific pattern, behavioral pattern that is in line with their core values. Absolutely. And I guess the opposite of what you're describing, JV, is what we term in ACT experiential avoidance. So this is the idea that when difficult thoughts, memories, or sensations show up for us, usually we all, many of us do one of four things and, and many clients that we see will do one of these four things. So the first is rumination. So we'll try and think our way out of the problem. We'll try and challenge it. We'll try and challenge the emotion. I shouldn't be feeling like this because X, Y, Z. 
but we end up ruminating, spending time. Mm. It keeps us up at night. It stops us from being present and engaging with our families and with our kids. So rumination is one. The second one is numbing. So the idea that if a difficult sensation shows up, actually, I'm going to numb this maybe through, um, you know, substances or through overeating or whatever it might be, just to try and escape in, in the moment. I guess the, the next form is the idea of distraction. So many of us will just try not to think about it and maybe throw ourselves into to doing work. Um, or fourthly, the idea of just avoidance, completely avoidance of the situation in which that emotion shows up. And as we know, when we meet many clients, often, well, specifically, I guess, with anxiety, often they're, they're, they're usually doing a lot of those four strategies I've mentioned, but particularly the avoidance aspect, avoiding going to places where the anxiety might show up, so. Yes, and that's why it's also part of the, or one of the typical signs of uh, uh, anxiety or, or a traumatic response is that, well, all four of those, but predominantly the avoiding of whatever triggers the experience. Um, what does this look like in therapy then, in a practical way? Let's say uh, a client comes to see you struggling with anxiety. Um, and let's make it make it maybe applicable to this period that we live in, this pandemic era. What does it look like practically in therapy? That's a really good question, um, JV. And what I might just tag on to the end of what I said previously is that those four experiential avoidance strategies I talked about, it's really important that we're compassionate towards clients because it's understandable mm -hmm. that they're engaging in all of those four. But, but, it, but in the longer term, those are unhelpful and often not in line with their values. So I just want to extend an arm of compassion to, to the people we work with and, and, and to all of us more broadly, because as I say, most of us, including me, um, engage in these uh, strategies. But to answer your question about what this looks like in therapy, I guess, I guess our our role in the first instance instance is to undertake a solid assessment, isn't it? And I guess we, as psychologists, rarely go in with the mindset of this approach is going to work for this client before we've met them or just when we've read a bit on paper. So I guess, you know, an assessment usually carried out over one or two sessions. Usually what I'm trying to do, I suppose, is ascertain what the client is currently doing to control the anxiety and to try and bring awareness to how those control strategies might not be working effectively for them. And often clients will say, you know, I've done some CBT before now, or, um, you know, I just try and think positive or I, um, uh, you know, and, and, and often we find that the control strategies that have been used up until now haven't been terribly effective. So I guess it's about trying to help clients understand. It's very understandable you've been trying to control it because ultimately society tells you that the way to get over problems is to control them it's to work harder it's to drive more it's to fight more but actually jv with our minds i guess you and i both know this sometimes we don't have that much control over what's what, what comes up and so the argument in act is that perhaps we've missold to a mass population the idea that thoughts 
emotions and difficult sensations can be controlled. Um, so the first couple of sessions are about trying to introduce that slightly different perspective to clients. Now, some clients aren't up for it and uh, will, will outwardly say, you know, I, I, I don't feel ready. I, it, it doesn't feel possible to me to start leaning into these difficult thoughts and sensations, particularly where there's trauma involved. And when we start talking about the idea of acceptance, sometimes that can be misunderstood by clients to mean that mm. accepting what has happened to me was okay or it should have happened or I should just let it pass and to be clear that's not what acceptance is and often we have to I have to kind of explore this with clients in great detail but acceptance means accepting that the event has come to pass but are you going to allow it to dictate the remaining years of your life um, so, yeah, essentially then, I suppose, in summary, when a client comes, I'm really just trying to figure out if ACT is going to work for them. And if it's not, we go to a different treatment modality. And actually, if they want, if they're still bought into the idea of control, then, you know, maybe something like a, a CBT approach might be more um, effective. But I, I, I tend to find, and this is just anecdotally, but for many clients, it can be quite a refreshing approach. Um, there's something quite powerful about relinquishing control and not being in the fight and not being in the struggle anymore. And so I, I tend to find that, that, that a lot of clients seem to go with it. Maybe it's because of the way I sell it. I don't know. But um, uh, yeah, does that answer the question? Yes, it does. <clears throat> so what I'm hearing is that it's all just an act of you. It's you selling it. <laughs> no, what, I, what I'm hearing, Robbie, I'm just... Uh, fooling around. What I'm hearing is that first and foremost, as a therapist, you are not a practitioner of ACT. You're a therapist meeting a client, determining where the client is, what they have developed over years to try and cope. And in collaboration with the client, explore in what ways the coping strategies are serving them or not. And then introducing the concept of accepting that that event has come to pass, but making the choice then whether that's going to dictate your life from this point forward or not, and accept that with that um, experience, certain emotions come with it, Certain thoughts come with it, but help them to lean into that so we can look at what is this and not try and control it or, or avoid it, but accept that it's there and not necessarily engage with it to relinquish the control or the attempt to control it, which then frees them up from a lot of expenditure of energy in trying to contain and, and control that so that there's some psychic or mental capacity that they can utilize to commit to um, something closer to their core values. And I, I'm so glad that you explained the, the concept of acceptance um, because that's one thing that I thought about is I think there's so many different un, uh, um, ways of, of looking at the concept of acceptance out there that it's very important to distinguish that you are accepting um, 
that it happened. You're not accepting um, or you're not okay with the fact that it happened and you're accepting that due to that event, there are certain thoughts that will pop up. There are certain emotions that will surface as it's all part of the human experience. It's not lying back and saying, okay, I give up. I accept that this happened to me. It's not that acceptance. Um, the first line of the book, The Road Less Traveled, just came to me as you were speaking, and that is, life is hard. And the moment you make peace with that, it's not so hard anymore. I think, I think JV, that probably sums it up beautifully. Yeah, um, it really does. And, you know, for, for those watching, I'd highly recommend uh, a really great book on acts, which is The Happiness Trap. Uh, by a by a wonderful guy called Dr. Russ Harris. Um, and a, yeah, I think the opening paragraph in, in that says something very so I think even even the, the first sentence is something like, you know, life is suffering, you know. Mm. Um, and 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 the sooner we kind of because I guess you know it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, JV, with maybe in the last 20 years or so, you know, since the rise in things like social media, the self-esteem movement of the 1980s, we've been sold this idea that happiness is the goal. You know, when, when we had our children, you know, that the kind of standard line that goes with that um, is, you know, I just want my child to be happy and healthy. And so it's conditioned from a very, very early age that the goal is happiness. And, you know, we sometimes talk about this idea of the happiness trap. We've been missold this idea that life should be perfect. You know, happiness should be the dominant emotion that's at play a good deal of the time. And, and the reality is, as I said or alluded to earlier, you know, being able to be present with a range of, of, of emotions, you know, you know, I sort of say it tongue in cheek sometimes, but, you know, people used to say to me when, when I had my son, you know, I bet you just wish he, he's, he's happy and healthy. And actually, I used to say, I hope he's healthy, but I hope he's happy alongside um, feeling sadness and guilt and betrayal and remorse and resentment and anger and ecstasy and joy, but all in different measures. And obviously, you know, we, 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 we want those negative and i'm going to use the word negative in 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 kind of apostrophes there but we want those emotions to be experienced as less overwhelming but we still want them to be present in our kids lives so that they can learn to to manage that and so yeah i i, I used to say i want my son to like you know i want him to be healthy but i want him to have a rich full and meaningful life which involves a range of emotions uh, yeah and that's that's a beautiful movement from the pursuit of happiness to the pursuit of a meaningful life, a rich, full, and a meaningful life. And that does not exclude any suffering. That does not exclude discomfort, as that's part of life. But in the pursuit of happiness, as, as you say, there, there's a trap there. Because that means I have to avoid and I have to circumvent everything in life that might lead to something other than happiness. And there's no way. There is no way to do that. And that is when we start to try and control everything in an attempt just 
not to go into that negative emotions or experiences. This sounds more like a, a worldview or a, a paradigm to live by than merely a therapeutic model. If you'd like to maybe comment on that, if, if you see it in that way, if it's not just a, a therapeutic model, but actually it's a way to live by for, yeah. for each one of us. Yeah, so that's a really good point, JV. And I think the clients who, who take on board this approach, it's useful for their difficulty. So the reason that they initially came to see us but what, what we often do find is that this becomes pervasive across all areas of life. And remember, we're talking about, and again, negative thoughts and feelings that show up, but we can use this concept with those more positive emotions as well, you know, really connecting with what joy feels like, you know, where do I feel that physically in me? Accepting it's there, but knowing it's transient as well, and that being okay. But not, not chasing the joy, allowing it to stay, stay around for as long as it stays around for and accepting that at some point it will, it will fall as everything rises, sustains and falls. And, and clients, I think, generally find that this approach just allows them to live a little bit more in the moment, I suppose. So yes, it can it can very much become a, a way to to live by. And I, you know, I I think I myself, having practiced this for a long time now, I think maybe because I uh, possibly live and breathe it at, at work, it's it's kind of you know continuously in my in my conscious awareness. And but yeah, I, I may be trained in this approach now, maybe four or five years ago, and yeah, since then I think I I think it's made me um, a, a a better person as well as a better psychologist. I mean, that example, Jamie, I gave you at the start of that little voice inside my head telling me, come on, you've got to nail this. We know that that occasionally happens in the course of a, of a working day when we are late, you know, a couple of minutes late, not routinely late, but a couple of minutes late occasionally to a, to a client session. And, you know, that little voice will start going, see, Robbie, you're never on time. See, you are useless, you know. But, and, and so I'm able to notice that voice, not necessarily buy into it, but just choose to take a deep breath, come back to the present moment and then fully engage with my clients. So this, you know, this isn't just for people in therapy. I think, as you say, this is for people in general. Yes, and it actually sounds like a, a like a, a concept that is um, hundreds of years, if not thousands of years old. The concept of non-attachment, that I do not attach and hold on to the moment, expecting it to be a constant or remain that way. That joy is a transient experience; it's for the moment. Experience it, and then if it goes, it goes. When sadness arises after an experience, it's there for the moment. It's part of a rich, deep experience of life, but it will pass. It's that ebb and flow of life. Um, and I, I know we do a lot of, of, of work on mindfulness at the Lighthouse. And this is, again, it's to be mindful just of the thought, mindful of the emotion, not a positive or a negative emotion, an emotion, lean into it, do not attach to it. Um, and as you say, it's not just about 
negative, so-called negative emotions, but also the, the more um, positive or, or, or comforting emotions to really lean into it and experience it and see it for what it is and then move on to what do I want to do or how do I want to behave or act now? Um, and just on that point, actually, JV, it's really important to say that when the because often clients will say, oh, okay, well, if I'm, if I'm noticing a negative thought coming to mind, I'm going to choose not to engage with that. And I'm just going to kind of come back to the moment. And we have to be careful with this sometimes because what we're, mm. what we're not doing is distracting. Okay. We are really trying to lean into it because sometimes when we lean into stuff, it then, we can then start to question it and, and, mm. and think about it a little bit more. What is this sensation trying to show me or tell me? So if I, just had an argument with my wife and I'm noticing lots of guilt is coming up instead of just noticing the guilt and quickly unhooking and coming back to the present moment actually sometimes it's really helpful for me to pay attention to that guilt what's this guilt trying to tell me is there something now I need to do back in the present moment differently so we're not we're not just about you know, diffusing or unhooking from these unpleasant sensations, we are still about learning from them. And, you know, sometimes, again, with acceptance, you know, clients will say, well, I just then I just accept that from time to time, I'm really rude to my wife, or from time to time, you know, I, I just am the way I am. And it goes back to that kind of classic. Now, I don't know where it came from originally, but I know Alcoholics Anonymous use it as their kind of um, mantra, if you like, you know, the idea of, of changing what you can, accepting what you cannot mm. and having the wisdom to know the difference between those two. Mm. So we're not all just about, as we were talking about earlier, just accepting that things are the way they are and I can't change because actually, you know, there are things that we can change and oftentimes it is helpful to pay attention to those thoughts. You know, if my mind started telling me now that, I don't know, my office was on fire or something like that. I would probably want to tune into that thought and, and pay attention to it and become hooked by it and take some action. So we're not just about, um, yeah, kind of discarding those thoughts. There are times where we need to ask the question, not is this thought true or not, okay? But is this thought helpful to me in the present moment? That's the key question. Um, you know, that little voice in my, in my ear, sometimes you're an imposter, you know, you're not good enough at this, you know, I have to make a decision about whether that thought is helpful to me in the present moment. And sometimes actually, if I was consistently late for all of my clinical appointments, actually, I need to start tuning into that voice because there might be some, uh, some validity there and that can then guide my behavior moving forward. So just to kind of be clear that we're not just always about diffusing or unhooking. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Robbie. That, by the way, is the uh, a prayer by Reinhold Niebuhr. A prayer for, I knew, for your... I knew you'd know, JV. That's why I'm here, Robbie. That's why I'm here. <laughs> You're carrying me. I'm carrying you. Uh, I, I think what 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 I just my approach to to thoughts and to experiences that is that there is an inherent intelligence built into us as we are wired to first and foremost survive here on earth and the thoughts that come to me and the emotions that come to me 
actually might have at its core the intention to save me or to help me. But it might not be helpful in that moment in the way that it comes to me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and often, you know, clients will often say, you know, I, I've developed this narrative that, that I'm not a good person or that I'm not intelligent enough. And we have to be really compassionate and understanding to that perspective because often clients have had life experiences that have taught them taught them that 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 lesson if you like or created that narrative so we really have to understand why the client has or why that narrative has surfaced and again i go back to the idea with with as with something like cbt what you would be usually trying to do is to challenge that narrative right let's build a case let's build some evidence for the reasons why you are good enough or why you are a good enough person and and try and outweigh that negative story. Now, they're, 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 you know, there's a there's a definite time and place for that with some clients, but for others, sometimes when we go through that process of trying to build the other narrative, you and I know intellectually, often clients know this, but they just sometimes they just don't feel yeah. it. No matter how much evidence we try and build, sometimes they, they just don't feel it, and so actually, it just feels more authentic and, and more kind of part of a common humanity just to say you know there may be elements of that story that are true there may be elements of that story that are false but we don't really care what we care about is what kind of person do you want to be to the end of your life and often I will say something to clients like you know imagine you know, I know it's a little bit morbid but imagine you're at the end of your life and somebody's writing your obituary you know and you're looking back and what do you want that obituary to say about you as a person you know the kind of person that you were you know, what values did you hold? What, what, what was rich in here? You know, rather than trying to create this kind of mask for ourselves or Stephen Hayes, the founder of ACT, talks about this idea of a bit of a clown suit. You know, we have these dif difficult experiences and we try and yeah. sometimes by building evidence against them, we just can't cover it up. We just mask it. We pave over the cracks, but it kind of still exists. So is it not more authentic and liberating just to step into a place of allowing this stuff to do its thing? And be there but to still commit to a life that is richful and meaningful yeah and in a kind and compassionate way towards myself absolutely always a hundred percent yeah and compassion jv is such a big part of of this approach and um you know compassion in many different forms i guess firstly something about understanding why the client has come to develop the kind of coping strategies which are often unhelpful um but but you know really getting alongside them i can understand why you do these things number two i guess compassion many of our clients often as you as you know jb have had adverse childhood experiences difficulties with 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 uh, parental relationships bullying and victimization um throughout schooling often and so you know, the idea of being compassionate or going easy on oneself um, can feel really difficult for many of our clients. And again, I'm, you know, I, I'm just thinking about a lot of what you would term, I suppose, very high achieving clients in very professional jobs um, who, are, who have constantly been driven and have lived by the mantra of the harder I work, the more I get or the 
you know, I mustn't go easy on myself because otherwise I will fail or I won't get that promotion. So this idea sometimes of compassion, going easier on yourself and developing practical tools and strategies for doing that um, can be a, be a real struggle for, for many of our clients. I guess you find this as well, right? Most definitely. Um, and I think it, it, it might because it is, uh, it's creating a dissonance in uh, internal dissonance because that driven that narrative of of being driven of uh, pushing forward and pushing for more and more that is in line with the narrative that was formed at a certain stage in life that earlier experience um, where that in that moment served them to survive that and to get beyond that and to move forward in life and in a certain way it might have served them to get to where they are now, but it's not necessarily in line with a core value. And now it might seem so difficult to integrate or first and foremost accept compassion towards myself as it might trigger a sense of vulnerability and risk-taking in letting go of that narrative that uh, that I have been following my whole life And if it's within an environment or a larger um, culture that supports it, even more so. And I think in therapy, yeah, in therapy, I think it's about getting the adult part, if we talk about parts, the adult part to acknowledge that that narrative, some of that narrative was formed at an earlier stage in my life. And to have compassion to that part in me. Like, for instance, you started with the voice that came. That, Robbie, don't mess this up. Like in eighth grade. To have compassion. Okay. You know what? I will deliver this. You don't have to. I have compassion for that eighth grader in me. Who had that experience and was terrified or or whatever the experience might have been to learn to have compassion for that younger part of me and to put that part and say, you come stand behind me. I'm going to deliver this, but I want you with me. I want you here because part of, of who I am today and what I have to give and why I'm here today is because of you. But in this moment, I'm going to do the, the talking. I'm going to act in this moment. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, that's a lovely summary, you know. Sometimes with clients, you use the analogy of a kind of board of directors, you know. It might feel right now that, you know, this little voice on your shoulder just feels like, you know, the MD at the top of the table, the dominant voice. And actually, you know, is there a way that all of the people around the table can just have an equal say in terms of what's going on? And like you say, I acknowledge that, that eight-year-old uh, or, or 11 year old or whatever it was you know needs to say something but right now this in this moment when I'm trying to live and do something absolutely meaningful and fulfilling probably not the best time to be there but I appreciate it still and this is part of the act process is about and it's not about humoring we have to be clear about this because sometimes some of the diffusion strategies that we teach clients to be able to unhook from that voice or those thoughts 
sometimes are a little bit more playful. Um, um, and so we have to be careful not to mimic that voice or the painful traumatic memories we've had, not to mimic those or disregard them or make fun of them, but essentially just try and see them for what they are, JV, which this might sound really left field, but if we think about this stuff up here, it's essentially a bunch of words, images, or videos that our mind shows to us. It's essentially what our thoughts are. And actually that can, again, be quite liberating for clients to understand that actually thoughts are just words in our head and it's us that brings the power. It's us that brings the meaning to it. Um, um, yeah, and just that realization in itself already can create a sense of relief to realize I am not being led by my thoughts. They pop up randomly, thoughts, wor uh, words, images, and videos, and I give meaning to them. Absolutely. Do you know what, JV? If I just write, I don't know if you can see this, but just written the word kind of useless on my on my pad right now if i believe if i believe i am my thoughts or my thoughts are me you know the word useless is kind of here and it might follow me around all over the place okay but once i start to realize that this is this is a word okay i can hold it here now it's still here okay and it's it's going to come into my view from time to time it's going to come closer something bad's going to happen and there it is but actually when i hold it out here Look at all the other possibility I can see around me. Um, you know, there's my family, there's my kids, there's doing this podcast with you, you know, oh, there it is. Okay, I'm noticing it. I'm just going to choose it to take mm. a step back. It's a word. Now, it's a word that might have some validity, but I'm not too interested mm. in this. What practical tips in in, in integrating this in everyday life, can you give our listeners as a take-home today for them? One, one or two simple things that they can start to integrate in their daily life. Really good question. Um, I mean, maybe if I give you three. So I think firstly, you know, I often encourage clients to start changing the terminology they use. So, you know, often clients will say, you know, I am, you know, I am something. So I am a selfish person by nature, or I am a procrastinator, or, you know, I am, I am lazy a lot of the time. And I just encourage clients that process of stepping back. I just wonder if we could change that to, I notice I'm having the thought that I'm a procrastinator. I notice I am having the thought that I'm lazy. And just the process of building that into one's day just helps us to take a step back and start to see these thoughts and feelings for what they are. Um, so that would be number one. And, um, and it's interesting when clients do start kind of applying this and you can tell that they're, they're really getting into it because often they'll come back in sessions and, you know, I might slip into saying something very definitive and they might say, ah, Dr. Robbie, you know, you notice you're having the thought that you were five minutes late or whatever it is. So, Beautiful. You know, yeah. So I, I would encourage people to start to, to start getting into, into, into that. I think as well, there's really something number two about, 
getting in contact with your values. And, you know, when we talk about values in an act sense, I guess we're talking about qualities or attributes rather than tasks or achievements. So the qualities and attributes that sit deep within you and make you the kind of person that you are. Um, I can, this is on YouTube, so I can put a link to a, to a kind of activity that, that, that people can engage That would be lovely. Get a little bit more in touch with their values. Now, with values, you know, I guess we talk about the idea of um, hold them loosely, but pursue them passionately. So know what they are, but also know that from time to time, values do come and go. But, you know, really get familiar. What is genuinely important to me in my life? What do I value? Is it connection with others? Is it solitude? Is it integrity, honesty, genuineness, spirituality, acceptance? What are the, what, what makes me me? Um, because once we know what it is that we value, it makes it easier to live a rich, full and meaningful life, I guess, through then the things we go on to do. So number two, I guess, really try and get in touch with one's values. And number three, practically, I mean, I would say mindfulness just as a concept and, and the idea of being present is so integral as you've already alluded to, to this therapy. And I would encourage clients not necessarily to, you know, formal meditations or anything like that, but just, you know, three times a day, just sit back in your chair, just notice what you can see around you. I can see this microphone, I can see JV, I can see my water, I can, what can I hear? I can hear the AC, I can think I just hear a colleague in another room, you know, what ground myself in the present moment and just get used to doing that just to unhook or diffuse from what might be going on up here even if it's just for a few moments but really getting into the process of doing that contact with the present moment and I, you know i think mindfulness you know proper mindfulness practices as well are yeah. incredibly yeah. Um, useful to get into so those would be my three practical suggestions awesome thanks thanks robbie the last last question I want to ask you is for you personally, um, just you know, to, to get an idea more of, of who Dr. Robert Chandler is in this is, what about this whole approach resonates for you as a person? Why, why do you practice or use this model as a person? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think, I think it's probably got something to do with, so I, I train in the UK and like most UK training centres, or actually I think most training centres in, in the world now, the, the kind of dominant approach is cognitive behaviour therapy. And, you know, to be clear, I'm absolutely not anti-CBT and I use a lot of CBT um, in the work I do. But I guess I just did start noticing that often the control aspect of CBT wasn't, wasn't working so well for a lot of clients, or they were saying that that idea that we talked about already, that, you know, control just doesn't seem to be helping. I just don't, I just don't feel it. I know it, but I don't feel it. And, and so I guess I started exploring other ways of thinking and just this concept of radical acceptance. It just spoke to me as well, um, JV, in terms of how liberating is this? And, and it has continued to be so for clients, but 
you know, going back to the first part of your question, which was about the kind of personal nature of us. Mm. Now, we are psychologists, but we're also people. And, um, and I think, you know, we all, JV, you and I, every other psychologist, every person, we are part of a common humanity. And, you know, we have our struggles. I've, I've told you about my little, um, my little man on, on my shoulder who does his thing. You know, you have your own version of that. And everybody watching this video will have their own version of that. And so I guess when I first found out a little bit about this approach, it just it helped me take a different perspective, I guess, to some of the thoughts, feelings and sensations that I have. And I do often ask myself, you know, had I had not found this approach or it not found me, I wonder what the last five years potentially would have looked like, how I would have dealt with some of the life stress that that, that I've encountered over that time. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, does that, does that kind of answer the question? Most definitely. I think that is what translates in therapy is when a, a therapist truly... Um, on a personal and, and a visceral level, experience the value of a, of a specific approach, it translates in therapy because then you're there as a person, as another human being, um, accompanying another human being on their path and, and joining them for a while. Then you're not a practitioner of a specific modality. You're first and foremost a human being showing compassion and kindness and whatever else you can bring to the space, you bring to the space. Yeah, such a good point. And th- that, I guess that's the other aspects or two aspects of ACT that really appeal to me personally. So firstly, the idea of self-disclosure. So, so not lots of, you know, I don't share lots of my own personal life, but lots of sharing my own personal experiences about what might be coming to me, what thoughts I notice popping up for me in the session as well. And I'm having that discussion just to reiterate this point. We are two people, you know, I may be, you know, doctor and client, but let's forget that. We are two people who, you know, for whom thoughts, feelings and sensations pop up in this hour together. So, you know, the focus doesn't become me, but in terms of normalizing that, that can be helpful. But also, I guess this approach maybe resonates and works with me because it is a slightly more playful approach. Not playful, it might be the wrong word, but some of the other therapeutic modalities out there, um, yeah, perhaps don't put so much emphasis on the idea that the therapy session, you know, therapy session can involve humour and kind of laughing at our, not laughing at our thoughts, but but yeah, Mm. you know, what is really going on here? Let's dissect and some of the diffusion strategies as I said earlier a little bit lighter and more playful and I think I think yeah that that certainly works for me in my personal style I suppose Dr Robert Chandler thank you for spending some time with me and sharing what acceptance and commitment therapy is about and also for for sharing a bit more about yourself and and your own voice here on the side Um, and I think the more we as as people also share about that to to our listeners and to the broader community. We're also busy destigmatizing therapy and um, creating an awareness that 
we we are not working with with people who can't cope in life. Sometimes we do see people who really struggle, but more often than not, our process is about how do we enhance, how do we assist people in enhancing and deepening their experience of life towards a, a richer and a more meaningful life. And we are also on that journey ourselves. We are not the gurus. We are not the experts, but we are willing to be with you there, present in that hour while you get closer to your own wisdom, your own answers, um, noticing what's happening inside, getting closer to your own values and committing to what it is that you want the remainder of your life to look like. So thank you for your time, Robbie, and uh, I'll see you in the kitchen soon. Take care and have a lovely day. It's been a pleasure, Jamie. Thank you. Take care.